Blog Talk Radio. Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Monday, June the 12th. As we like to do on Mondays, we'll be chatting with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Well, he was finally, he's finally been indicted. President Trump, after so many years, has finally been indicted. Not a shock that he was indicted, but obviously a lot of controversy. A lot of people on both sides will talk to Bill about that today. And we're also going to talk about that story in, China, in Cuba where apparently China is uh, going into Cuba. And, you know, Bill remembers the Cuban Missile Crisis, so I'm sure he'll have a few thoughts. Um, he, he'll have a few thoughts about that. So let me, uh, let me welcome, as we always do, our good friend Bill Katz, editor of Urgent Agenda. How are you, Bill? Oh, just fine, Silvio, to the extent that you can be just fine in a country that seems to be destroying itself, but just yes. fine in the, under those circumstances. Yes. Under those circumstances. i got to begin. This is a, a personal curiosity question, not about the news, but just uh, how did it go last week with all that smoke? You know, we were watching uh, on the television. I mean, they suspended the Yankee game uh, because of the smoke. So how was it and how is it now? Well, it's much better today, at least as far as I can see. Uh, but last week there was one day in particular that w- was pretty terrible. I mean, you looked outside, the sky was kind of reddish, um, which is what we were told to expect. Uh, the, the warnings came really about uh, the possibility of damage to people's throats uh, by breathing in the very contaminated air. And I think most people did stay inside. It, it went by quite quickly. I don't think there were any serious casualties. But uh, yes, there, there. You know, the, the, there's no question about the fact that for one day there, maybe a day and a half, New York was pretty stalled. People didn't want to go on public transportation. Uh, they didn't want to go to stores, even though they might have needed things. Uh, they were simply told to stay inside and avoid the poison in the air. Right, and of course you stay inside running the air. I would assume running the air conditioning well, to or or no. Well, that's, well, yes. Well, it depends on what you have. I mean, we have um, uh, air purifiers, so it was a, a lot easier for us. And I think most air conditioning systems today, especially where we live, where there are a lot of apartment buildings, are filtered. Uh, they, the, the, whole, the central system is filtered. So I, I, I don't know, for example, personally, of any person who got sick. Uh, we're told that there are some people who had some uh, irritable throat symptoms, but that was pretty much it. It, it went away. I, it's gone somewhere because the fires in Canada have continued. I think it has a lot to do with which way the wind is blowing. If it's blowing down here, it'll, there'll be more down here. If it is blowing out to the Midwest, uh, the, they will be the ones to mm-hmm. receive these warnings. Uh, that's pretty pretty much the way it is. I find it fascinating, don't you, that there yeah. are almost, almost no reports from Canada on this. I mean, you think that the American television networks would send reporters to, Cal- Cal- to Canada to find out how this happened, send them out with the firefighters, and show what is being done. But there seems to be not that terribly much interest in it. No, and of course, whatever interest there is, is to blame it on climate change. <laughs> well, of course. Well, that's it. That's, that it's, it's always caused by climate change. It has nothing to do with forest management. I mean, right. as a matter of fact, the fires were started, obviously, by the ground getting so hot from climate change and from being run over by cars with internal combustion engines that how could we have avoided this? Well, the way to avoid this is to end all transportation. That's obvious, isn't it? Nobody yeah, goes anywhere. Just, that's right. Yeah, we shut down all the air, everything. We just shut down everything. I guess we walk. From now on, we just walk everywhere, 
And uh, then, of course, the fires will never happen again. Of course not. I think walking is very dangerous. You might step on a fly. Uh, This is something that we really have to stop. Uh, You know, the whole thing was, uh, again, every news story is politicized. Every news story Mm -hmm. has a political objective. And uh, I, I, you know, I don't think people are even talking about that bad stuff last week. No. Well, the only thing I there was an article in the American Thinker. Somebody wrote an article that there may have, you know, people are speculating that there may be some terrorism behind these fires. That, that these fires may have been set on purpose. Uh, I mean, that's a lot of fire to be set on purpose. But if the ground is that hot or the the trees are that dry, I mean, it doesn't take a lot to create a a big fire. But we have seen, you know, these eco-terrorists, they shut down streets. You know, they go into grocery stores and throw milk on the floor. They attack works of art. So, you know, I mean, is it possible? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what did it. But I did find it amazing when I looked at the the map of Canada some of these fires were like in the Pacific side of Canada. So how the That's wind right. would go as far as New York, I mean, it's just fascinating how, how that happens, uh, Bill. Oh, it is. It is. And uh, I haven't heard any great mea culpas from Canada over p- polluting our air. I guarantee you if it were the reverse, I mean, it would be a great international incident. But uh, I suppose Prime Minister Trudeau has his reasons for not speaking out. Uh, and I assume that he is busy at work in his fireman's uniform, uh, putting out some of the fires uh, near Toronto. But uh, well, it, it, we, ha- we have. He has a few here. political fires that he's putting out, <laughs> Bill. Yes, yeah, sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's got some political. But I'm just, it's just fascinating because, you know, I don't ever remember a baseball game ever canceled because of smoke. I may be wrong. Right. Maybe you remember one, but I don't remember uh, a ball game canceled because of snow i mean we've had games canceled uh for lots of reasons maybe very very bad weather but smoke uh, that was the first time as far as i know bill i think so i haven't heard of that uh either uh but if they canceled the game uh then the amount of pollution in the air must have been pretty high because yeah, those, so. you know, that's a great disruption to cancel a game. Yeah, I, I think people were cooperative. I, I don't think people were screaming that this is not true or it's a myth. No, the, right. the, the measurements on air quality were taken here. Uh, that's what determined the judgment. Uh, and uh, as I said, it appears, at least for now, now to be over. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we have, uh, as I've said on many times on this broadcast, we have a weather bureau here that is as pessimistic as possible. Um, you get you get the feeling everyone who works there owns Everetti stock, because we've, we I mean, just in the last week we had a huge storm predicted didn't happen. Uh, I think there's some hard weather uh, uh, selected for tonight. I'm going to the grocery store anyway. I, I'll, I'll you know I have an umbrella, so uh, we'll we'll have to see. But uh, as you pointed out. All done by global warming. That was that was the theme of the day. Yes, that that's all they could uh, they could tell us. Uh, amazing. Well, before we get to the big news, I do have one quick thing. Uh, just uh, on this day in history, this is one of my favorite. Uh, on this day in history, going back to 1987, and Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. This is uh, uh, one of those moments that I remember watching on TV. It really touched. Uh, I mean, it really hit me. I guess when Reagan said it, and I still think it's one of his greatest moments. Uh, maybe it's because I grew up in the Cold War. Maybe it's because, you know, that was the world that I lived in or grew up in. But that was a great speech, Bill, and it still sounds like a great speech when you watch it, uh, what is it, 36 years later? It's still a yeah. great speech. It is a great speech, and as you know, they almost canceled that line. Yeah. Uh, the, the president, When the president makes a speech on foreign affairs, it's normally circulated to a few people in the State Department for their reaction. And uh, the State Department apparently frowned considerably on the line that Mr. Gorbachev uh, tear down this wall. And I believe it was Colin Powell who did the frowning. Uh, and um, uh, President uh, Reagan called Peggy Noonan, his speechwriter, over to the desk and, uh, and said uh, – uh, and she was concerned because of the State Department reaction. And Reagan, according to Peggy Noonan, said to her, Peggy, this is why we were elected. And the line stayed in. 
and the line right. not only was electric in its delivery, it had an effect. The, the wall did, in fact, come down. And I don't know if it would have come down had he not demanded it. Right. Well, the, the wall came down two years, uh, five months later or something. Yeah. The wall came down in, in I, I remember, in the fall of 89. I'll never forget the day that the wall came down or that week. That Sam Donaldson with ABC, I'm, I'm, I don't know if he's still working or whether he's retired, but he was a you know pretty famous guy at ABC for a while there. And that week that the the wall came down, he interviewed President Reagan. You know, President Reagan, yes. I guess in California with the backdrop of the people at the wall jumping and and so on. And I, I thought, man, what what a, what a way for what a, how satisfying that moment must have been. For Reagan, uh, for President Reagan, and you wonder, you wonder if when he made that statement, he thought, you know, this is going to come down in two and a half years. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. But it's probably most people didn't think it would come down that quickly, Bill. I think that's true. I think people felt it was kind of a throwaway line that you're supposed to cheer and that nothing would happen. But there was really an uprising in East Germany. Uh, and uh, people did agitate for the end of the wall, and the wall did in fact come crumbling down. And it was a great That's moment right. in a great moment in, uh, in peace, a great moment for President Reagan, and the kind of moment you don't expect from uh, from Joe Biden or anybody no. else running around there today in Washington. That's right. No, there are two great. One, I'll just say one more thing about this before we get to the indictment, but. Uh, two two of my mo- most favorite speeches by President Reagan had nothing to do with politics. Well, not directly, at least. One was, you know, Mr. Gorbachev tear down that wall, and the other speech was at D Day in 1984. That is one of the greatest speeches that Reagan ever gave. When you know he sat there and he talked about you know the boys who took these this ground right. and even pointed out. Some of the people in the crowd, there were some, some people in the crowd whose fathers had been there but died, and he pointed yes. them out. And I, I just thought that, my gosh, I mean, that was so inspirational. I, I understand yes. now why, why this guy was so great, Bill. Well, it was inspirational, and you always have the feeling with Reagan that he meant it, that he felt this. Uh, and, of course, people laughed at him. Some of the left laughed, mocked him, you know, super patriot, waving the flag. Well, there was a place where the flag deserved to be waved. And, he, he, you know, he thanked these men. It was 40 years uh, after D-Day. And there were many, many Americans alive who had fought in World War II. I mean, if, if, you, were, if you were 20 in 1945, you were, well, 40 years later, you were 60. That's not old. And and we had millions and millions of veterans still alive. We don't have them today, and I think the country is weaker for it and lesser for it. We don't have That's that right. example. No, you're right. And speaking of the flag, by the way, saluting the flag, I just wanted to quickly uh, point out, I have a note here to ask you about the White House. Uh, a, a, day, a couple of days ago when they were celebrating whatever they were celebrating about pride, and they have the American flag share the stage with that other flag. I thought that was horrific, Bill. You don't see that with the American yes. flag. No, that is correct. The American flag, flag flies above all others, and I think any attempt to compromise it uh, is outrageous, and, and the American people should reject it. Uh, if, if you start with this sort of thing of sharing uh, with uh, you know, some cause you believe in, it will never end. And the American flag will be put in the background. No, the, the White House acted badly, but it acted politically to, to attract uh, the support and the continued support of a group that they represent. But a bad decision. I don't, Very I don't bad know decision, I thought. Support. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, I don't think they'll get that question from the media. So um, unless, uh, you know, somebody brings it up, I don't think they'll get that question. Well, let's talk about the indictment, uh, President Trump's indictment. As I said at the beginning, I'm not surprised. I think uh, both of us had thought for a while there that this would happen. But here's where I kind of the the bottom line of where I am on, on this, and I'd like to get your thoughts. Um, I think that President Trump made some mistakes in how he kept these documents. And he should have done it better. Maybe he should have worked better with the agency that has these documents. In other words, I think there's a lot to criticize. 
about what President Trump did, just like there is with President Biden. But I think the indictment is over the top in the sense that what you get is the political reaction that we're getting now. And I believe, uh, Bill, that it would have been a lot better if the Department of Justice, these two special counsels, had each issued a report. And then you send that report to Congress and you say, look, guys, you wrote this law. There's confusion. Uh, You know, we've had this problem with other presidents. So why don't you tighten up this uh, Records Act? So that it doesn't yes. happen again, so that the next president knows what the heck he can do. I think that would have been a lot more productive. The indictment, I think, was just politics at its worst, Bill. Well, it's, if it's, it may be politics at its worst, and it is, as you just pointed out, but there's going to be a real trial with a real result. Now, they have to get 12 jurors to agree to convict him, but uh, and the trial will be held in Miami. It's not going to be held in, in Washington, where he would certainly be convicted. But it's it's a dangerous thing. Uh, they I fully agree with you. I think they should have examined, uh, accused him of some certain things, and, and left it up to Congress uh, to uh, improve the law. Uh, they could have. Uh, uh, they may have even asked him to pay a fine or something like that. But to go this far, this is unprecedented in American history, and it isn't as if he was giving the information to foreign traders. Uh, or to or to enemy nations, uh, he he was sloppy with some of the material, as you pointed out. Joe Biden apparently was very sloppy with a lot of material over the years. But to only indict one and not the other, it reminds us once again of the Hillary Clinton episode, where she did some things with classified information that if uh, any CIA employee had done, would probably land him in jail. And the FBI director said, terrible what she did, it was awful what she did, but no reasonable prosecutor would prosecute this case. Well, if a reasonable prosecutor wouldn't prosecute that case, why are they prosecuting this case? And the only conclusion you can come to is political bias, and it it looks awfully bad. It really does. But it, it seems to me, Bill, that we're paying a real price for that very unfortunate decision to let Hillary Clinton off the hook. Because yes, I by, think we are. Um, I'm not suggesting that she should have gone to jail for 300 years, but like this uh, case against Trump. But there should have been some accountability. There should have been more than no prosecutor would have handled this case. So what I think happened is that that set a very bad example. And and if if you're a jury and they're coming to you and they're saying, you know, you should put this guy in jail for 300 years, but this lady over here, nothing happened to her. I think that's going to be a strong argument for many in the jury to say, well, this is not the same thing. I know they're going to point out that there's all these differences are already doing it, you know. But I think all those technical differences may be interesting to people who appear on CNN panels. But I think the average American doesn't see all those little differences, Bill. That's right. And I, I look at it, it will depend on how good a lawyer he has and also depending on who, who's on the jury. And we know about juries, I mean, uh, and what they can do that have nothing to do with the facts. So I'm concerned about it. I think it's if he were ever convicted and sent to prison, I think it would be the lowest moment in modern American history because it would show what a political prosecution looks like. He may have broken the law. I'm not quite, as you as you said, he may have done things that are wrong. But you, there are ways around that. Uh, there is prosecutorial discretion. They could have done exactly what you advocated. Uh, they could have also reprimanded him and said, uh, "This does not rise to the level of uh, of uh, intent," and we have decided not to prosecute. Uh, the American people would have it laid out before them, and we wouldn't go through this violation of. All of American political history has never happened. It has never happened. And when you're going to change that history uh, hundreds of years later, you better have a really strong case, and you better be sure that you're right. And I don't think either is the case. No. Did, did, uh, Professor Dershowitz, uh, who's not a, uh, a Trump supporter, that's what he was saying, that if you're going to uh, have an indictment like this against a former president, it has to be so solid that it doesn't even go to a trial. It's sort of like President Nixon when he was visited by four or five Republican senators and told the end is here. You you need to get out because you're not going to win anything. And I think maybe something like if it was that strong of a case, uh, then I think the reaction would have been different from 
uh, from Republicans. But I remember Bill reading one time in uh, in my history class, U.S. history, that you know the impeachment of Andrew Jackson uh, went down. That was a long time ago, I know, right after the Civil War. But the impeachment and almost conviction of Andrew Jackson was seen by so many historians as being purely political that it basically turned off future Congresses from ever impeaching that easily again. That it was one of these things where they said, you know, well, you know, if we're going to impeach somebody, there has to be a real, a real case. And yes. it wasn't, of course, until Nixon. And I'm wondering if maybe the same thing could happen right now where the American people are saying, you know what, we got too many problems in, in the country and too many problems around the world. Unless you've got a, you know, the legal definition of a perfect game, you know, just drop it and move on to something else, Bill. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, it's going to, if there's a real trial, it's going to suck up all the air in the room, and they're going to work as hard as possible to have that real trial during the election campaign. I mean, it is just so obviously politicized, and I, I think the American people will be smart enough to regard it as a political act, and maybe they'll turn against it, and uh, the Democrats will have made a terrible mistake. But I don't know. I think that there is an element of the Democratic Party who wants this man in prison because they want anyone in prison who disagrees with them. They, they regard disagreement with them as, as a crime. It, uh, how can you disagree with me? I'm a wonderful person. And this right, is dangerous. Right. We're getting into a very dangerous area. Yeah, we are. And, uh, you know, I remember when, uh, when they went into – the FBI went into President Trump's home uh, – that I remember telling uh, somebody, I may have told you this story on a previous show as well, that I remember telling somebody, we've gone into territory we've never been there before, uh, un uncharted yes. waters here. Uh, you know, it's never happened in the United States. And I think this indictment is also falls into that. So what happens now? Does the next president of uh, the next Republican president of the United States get a search warrant from a, a judge in Texas or Alabama, conservative judge? and then knock on President Obama's door and say, knock, knock, we're here to look at the Fast and Furious documents, Mr. President. Where, where do you have your boxes? Yes. I mean, I know yes. that, sound, that would have sounded crazy, Bill, if I had said this a year ago, but not anymore. I think that could happen, Bill. It could happen. It could easily happen. And, uh, you know, one of the things we've done wisely in American history is that we leave former presidents alone. I mean, they've been accused of all kinds of things. I mean, McCarthy used to run around and talk about Truman and Roosevelt, 20 years of treason, things like that. But once they leave office, we've left them alone. Uh, there have been accusations against uh, former presidents that in office they did this, this, and that. But it never rose to the level of criminality. And I think we were wise to go in that direction. If there was something blatant here and outrageous, uh, if, for example, he were caught giving uh, documents, classified documents, to foreign enemies, that's something else. That's a very different discussion. But this is basically an accusation of a kind of sloppiness. He shouldn't have done it, but uh, as you pointed out, there are ways around it. Yeah, well, I, I think, again, you know, I, he, he made some mistakes, and, you know, um, the, he should have probably worked differently with this agency than he did, but... But I just think the, doing an indictment is so over the top that it creates a lot of bad feelings in the country. And there are already a lot of bad feelings before the indictment. So, I mean, you're just pouring gasoline in this big fire, and I don't know where it ends. I mean, where does this thing end? Uh, at some point, somebody's going to have to say, okay, let's have a truce. Let's have a truce. I'm not going to investigate you anymore, and I'm not going to investigate you anymore. Let's drop that. And, and do something else like governing or at least working out the people's business bill. I know that sounds maybe very idealistic, but we've done that before. It's not like I'm saying something we haven't done in the past. We have. Uh, if we had real statesmen in Washington, something could be worked out. Uh, you know, in, in 1944, we've talked about this before, mm -hmm. the Democratic Party essentially decapitated the vice president of the United States, a wartime vice president, uh, because they understood that President Roosevelt, who was then in office and running for his, about to run for his fourth term, they saw him as very sick, very frail. They assumed that whoever was vice president 
in the fourth term would become president uh, through the president's uh, passing. Uh, and they realized that Henry Wallace, who was the vice president at the time, could not be president because he was too far to the left politically. And they acted as statesmen. They got together. The, uh, President Roosevelt left it up to uh, the congressional leaders. They looked. They studied. They uh, arrived at the conclusion that Harry Truman should be the vice presidential candidate. And they gave the nation Harry Truman. And, uh, you know, we've, we've been here before where very delicate things have to be done at the presidential level, and they've been done well. Because the people in, in, in office are not just uh, usually just a bunch of political actors. Many of them are patriots. Many of them do right. care. And they acted in a caring way, and I think uh, we can only have praise for them. Uh, right. The uh, presidency of, of Harry Truman is now remembered, at least by many people, as a near-great or even great presidency. Uh, I don't know what Mr. Wallace would have done as president, but it would have been to appease the Soviet Union, that's for sure, and that was not acceptable. That's right. Just a quick mo uh, quick note here before we take a break. You mentioned, uh, uh, you know, the changing of, uh, or you know, the changing of the vice president with uh, to Harry Truman back then. There's a lot of talk. I'm getting a lot of a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of talk, I should say, of Governor Newsom running for president, and many people yes. are speculating that something is going on in the background here. That uh, either he's going to replace Vice President Harris. Or he or or Mr. Biden is going to say that he's not running. But Newsom sounds to me more and more like a guy who's running for something. And it's not governor of California. So it's got to be the presidency bill. Well, it's a fascinating situation because he's probably the worst governor in America. I right. mean, he was recalled. He he beat the recall vote, but he was only the second governor in the history of California to be recalled. Um, and uh, the, the state is in terrible condition. I mean, I think I think the number that I saw was 500,000 people have left California under his administration. That's enough to form a new state. Uh, and uh, and they're more going. I mean, people are just leaving. People are leaving the state every day. And on what will he run? I mean, what will his platform be? Your state can be like California. I mean. Right. <laughs> No, that's uh, not a very good platform. Although, you know, no. he, he's going to be, I guess it depends who he runs against. But, you know, he is, from what I've seen, pretty telegenic and effective. Uh, doesn't have much of a record, you're right, but he does, he speaks well. And I think sometimes people like that are very effective with young people, younger voters, and so on. I mean, he's going to be talking about climate change and uh, social issues. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the young people go for that bill. They certainly do. Um, I, I don't know how he can get by his California record because right. it's become almost a national joke. I mean, right. all they have to do on the Republican side is show pictures of uh, San, San Francisco, Francisco. and yes, play and play in the background. I left my heart. No, I left San Francisco. That's right. uh, and uh, uh, and the late night comedians might have a good time with it to the extent that they're still comedians. I, mm -hmm. I haven't checked in recently on the laugh level. Apparently it's not very high. But uh, and, and also the, the fact that the, uh, it is a very left wing state, the fact that the Democratic Party in California is a militantly left wing uh, party. I don't think California is where the country is, but you never know. Uh, he can be nominated, and the Republicans can mess up completely, which they have right. a way of doing. And you can right. have President Newsom. No, I know, and that's what I was saying. He's, a, he's an effective communicator. He has a horrible message, but you know, uh, it, it's uh, it's happened before. And uh, you know, there's a lot of young people out there who really go for the climate change, and that's all he's probably going to be uh, talking about. Let's take a little break, and we'll be back with our friend Bill right after this.
This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas. Just a quick little story here, uh, Bill. Uh, you know, two of our sons went to Texas A&M, and yes. so we get a lot of information from Texas A&M, uh, you know, newsletters and stuff like that. And the first President Bush has his library at Texas A&M. It's a great library, by the way. I've been to it. Fabulous library because, you know, the, the guy had a long life and a very successful life. And President Bush would have been 99 today. So you, you talk about time flying. Uh, of course, he oh, passed yeah. away in 2018, but he would have been 99 today. They were celebrating that at the, the university at the Bush, at the Bush Library. And when I was there a few years ago, there's so much history that he's a part of. You know, he served in World War II. He was at the UN, the CIA. Yes. I mean, he, he was around, Bill. Yes, I believe he was the youngest Navy pilot in World War II, uh, and volunteered. Uh, served honorably, and uh, yes, he did have a number of different uh, positions in government. I think he was uh, well thought of, uh, a respected man. You don't have to agree with everything he did, but but he was a respected man. Um, and I think that, um, uh, I believe he was uh, only the second father in American history whose son was also president, the first, of course, being John Adams. Mm -hmm. But I think that they're one of two. Yeah, good. That's right. Texas A&M Texas is becoming a very important university. You hear a lot about it all the time. Uh, I think uh, we have a member of our um, a member of our extended family from Minnesota uh, is going to Texas A&M. Well, it's a great school, not because two of my sons went to it, but it is a great school. It is uh, still. I mean, I think it's a very conservative school uh, yes. by compared to. To a lot of others, I guess these so, days. To almost any place else. Yeah. That's right. It's still a very conservative school. There, there's a big tradition of cadets in that school, so you see a lot of young men, you know, walking around with their cadet uniforms. It's just a lot of tradition. It's really a, a very nice place to go. And President Bush has his library there. There's a little story about President Bush that they used to tell uh, when. When he would visit the library, because there were many exhibitions. I mean, a lot of historians went to his library, and he was often there uh, in the campus. So there's a story that he would walk around the library, uh, or the student center, and if he would see a kid sleeping, like on one of the benches, he would, like, tap him on the shoulder and said, hey, come on, get to class. And <laughs> and the kid would, you know, would wake up and look at the presidents of the United or former president by that time and, and right. just kind of freak out. You know, he, he and Barbara yes. would be laughing as the kid was, you know, yes. I, gee, who, who are you? You're, oh, you're George Bush. Oh, okay. How are you, Mr. President? So he, he had that reputation, he and Barbara of running around doing stuff like that at the campus. My sons told me those stories, Bill. Well, that, that, those are great stories. Those are very great stories. I think that in the next couple of years that there will be more of an emphasis in our discussion of colleges on the southern colleges and the midwestern colleges and less on the eastern colleges, which seem to be in a, a state of perpetual embarrassment. Uh, the, 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 the story today about the graduation speech given by the president of Princeton, which apparently enraged many of the parents there, uh, apparently not, not realizing the president of Princeton did that a lot of people in the country don't agree with his woke politics. Uh, right. But he's surrounded, he's surrounded by wokesters, and maybe he thought he would get a lot of cheers. But there were apparently a lot of conservative parents in the audience who did not cheer him. Right. Well, you know, if you're going to send your kid to Princeton, uh, you better, you, more than likely you come from a pretty good family because that's an expensive place to go. So, it sure is. Uh, yeah, it's sure. So you probably come from a uh, a family uh, that has done rather well in capitalism. So I don't think yeah. these people are that into woke, you know, Bill. But I could be wrong. <laughs> well, well, but, uh, <laughs> they have every every campus now. Uh, even some of the conservative ones have some kind of an, a woke contingent. Yes, you know, they it's do. almost it's it's almost a requirement. You know, it, it's like uh, it's, it's like <laughs> like having a, a, a campus ideological police force. Right. It's, 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 they're, the woke, the wokesters are not giving up. They're still trying to expand their influence, and that's a no, dangerous the, thing. No, the woke. You're right about the woke people, Bill. I think 
it's almost like, you know, when there used to be a Beatles fan club at every yes. college. <laughs> yes. There's a woke club at every college. It's bigger in some colleges than others. But there's one, yes, I agree with you. There's one everywhere. But I can say from personal experience that, you know, that if, if I had to send in maybe someday, you know, my, my two grandsons will, will maybe go there as well. But if I had to, if they had to choose between the University of Texas in Austin and Texas A&M, my preference would be Texas A&M. They cost about the same, so it's not the money. It's just yeah. that I just think it's a much better school, much better quality of education. Frankly, a lot less lunatics teaching at A&M than in Austinville. Apparently that's true. Apparently the University of Texas has been no. held up by many people as the liberal bastion in a conservative state. But apparently mm -hmm. uh, the liberal bastion has had some problems recently and uh, maybe not so much of a bastion anymore. No, and, and, of course, the legislature is coming down really hard on all this woke stuff. A lot of the school boards are doing the same thing. So I think we're winning slowly but surely, but we're winning. Bill, I want to bring this up because, well, first of all, before I get to China and Cuba, you wrote a very interesting post, and I want to bring it up about Gallup coming out with some new numbers that show maybe a little trending to the right. That's a good thing, Bill. I think so, and uh... – I, I suspect other polls will show the same thing, and I believe that possibly the most important reason behind those polls, even though the economy is the, still the biggest issue, is crime. I think crime is having a devastating effect in many parts of the United States. People are beginning to feel it personally, the fear of not going out at certain times of night, the fear even in their own neighborhoods, and I think that's having a, 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 a substantial effect I still think that the Republican Party, though, should be on guard next year about all kinds of voter gimmicks that are going to be pulled around the country. You know, a presidential election, as we all know, is not one election. It's 50 different state elections, and it is awfully hard to monitor all 50 states. But that has got to be a Republican priority. Somebody was talking about Michigan, how the Democrats um, have, you know, come up with all kinds of gimmicks to win Michigan. And uh, they were warning, you know, Republicans, hey, you know, watch out, because the Democrats may not be very good at governing, but they're good at getting votes out. And, and yes. you've got to really, uh, you've got to work, you can't govern unless you win. So that's the point. That's the point that a lot of people, uh, even in our party, don't understand. They want to run on principle. Well, you run on principle, of course, but there is no second prize in, in politics. It's not like the Olympics where you get a right. silver medal. There's no silver medal. I don't see one. Uh, I, I think some people in the Republican past may have gotten a silver medal, but uh, the, there's only one outcome that is acceptable, and that's winning. That's right. You're exactly right. Nobody comes home to greet the guy who lost the election the same way they come home or go out and to greet the guy who won the silver medal. You know, you win the silver <laughs> medal in the Olympics, they give you a reception when you come home. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. You're a medalist. But <laughs> that's in, right. When you, when you lose the presidency, uh, you go home and you uh, uh, hope that there's something in the refrigerator. You're right. It reminds me of the story the night that Mitt Romney uh, lost the election that, you know, like about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, he notices that there's nobody around him anymore. And yes. you know he's got to, you know he's got to go home and whatever happened to all these people who were here six hours ago? Well, you lost the election, Mr. Romney. I mean, it's a it's a horrible thing to say, but that's reality, you know. Well, that's that's absolutely true. There's the famous story of uh, who was it in uh, twenty uh, nineteen sixteen who ran against Woodrow Wilson for the presidency, Wilson being the incumbent, and uh, Charles Evans Hughes, I believe. And uh, he assumed when he went to bed in California that night that, uh, and I hope I have this right, this correct, uh, that he had been elected president. And uh, the, the next morning, very early in the morning, there was a knock on his door. They didn't have the kind of security that they have today. And the, uh, the, uh, the gentleman around the house opened it, and it was a reporter who said, uh, 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 um, said, I, I'm here to interview Mr. Hughes. And uh, the, the guy, uh, the housekeeper said, 
well, the president is sleeping. And the reporter said the president isn't. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. That's right. The president. That's right. He's sleeping in the White House. So it's, yeah, he's yes. sleeping in another house. The real president. Right. Well, I wanted to bring this up, Bill, because you have personal memories. I know you've mentioned it before, of the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, yes. back then. Uh, uh, if I believe you were with the CIA back then, yes. and 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 now, of course, we may have another little crisis in Cuba. Is the Chinese are are putting some money into a spy station, and that's pretty close. Now, the, to, to be fair, the Russians also had one, and the Chinese, I guess, have tried to have one before. But this one is apparently of a higher level than the ones before. <laughs> but oh, yeah, yeah. you know, you, you cannot. You, I mean, I am astonished that we would find this out by a leak that somehow this didn't come out before or the president biden i mean i guess i'm just shocked i've never thought that you know something like this would would happen but i guess when when nobody respects you this is the kind of stuff that happens bill well yes uh, you know it was pretty obvious it has been pretty obvious that uh barack obama's uh, heartfelt outreach to cuba uh, uh was not returned with any great warmth that cuba he his he told people that, well, if we recognize Cuba, Cuba will change. Well, it hasn't. I mean, it is still a dictatorship. Uh, it is still far below where it should be in terms of uh, productivity. Uh, and uh, yes, now apparently they have, uh, the White House has confirmed, they have a spy station directed at the United States uh, in Cuba. Now, I don't know what their technological abilities are. I don't know what they are actually getting from the United States, from the Cuban station. But the fact that it's there is humbling to this country, that we have our number one enemy with a listening station 90 miles off our shores. And it, it, it could be that it's only a symbolic situation, but it symbolizes something that is very real, and that is the decline of the United States. And I don't think there's any question about it. We are not being taken as seriously in foreign countries as we are, as we were in the past, and I think this is going to hurt down the line. Absolutely. And it's going to be an issue in the next campaign, especially if DeSantis, well, both DeSantis or Trump, but DeSantis obviously being from Florida, has already been talking a great deal about it. But, it, you know, I look at it and, and it's like, you know, there were some balloons over the United States recently, if you remember. And, you know, were those balloons related to these spy facilities? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's crazy, but... Maybe the balloons were sending information to the spy facility in, in Cuba. I, I have know. no idea. I have no idea. But I, I certainly think that every incursion by the Chinese government uh, into this hemisphere is a loss for the United States. It's a loss of prestige, and it, it creates the effect on the Latin American nations of being concerned about China. Mm -hmm. And when you're concerned, you get into negotiations with them. And they can wind up as, as, as distant satellites of China. It has happened before. Uh, not good for America. No. And there is no historical connection between China and Cuba. It's just a, a, uh, you know, a marriage of convenience, as they say. You've got the location and you need the money. I mean, Cuba is desperate for cash right now. Yes. And that's what's really behind all of it. The Cuban economy is, is a wreck. The tourism sector is in bad shape. I mean, the country is literally falling apart. When I see some of the pictures, um, you know, if my mother and father were still around, I think they would cry when they see some of the pictures of Cuba because they obviously remember a different country. And and I know many times, you know, when I would see photos of all Cuba with them, how proud they used to be of this or this or that in Cuba. But the country's falling apart, so they're basically selling the country to whoever gives them cash. I think the same thing is happening in Venezuela with China. Uh, the Venezuela regime is also in deep trouble. So China is basically saying, oh, you're in trouble? Here, I got a checking account. We'll just give you some credit. And that's, that's right. how they're expanding their influence. They're certainly not doing it. I mean, they're not, it's not like they're building bridges and schools, Bill. They're just, you know, they're just buying the country uh, for their own purposes, Chinese purposes, that is. That's, exa that's exactly right. And they can have great influence in these countries. And uh, these countries are all part of the Organization of American States. They have annual meetings with the United States. 
And if you look around the table next time and you see countries like Venezuela or Colombia or others, essentially financially occupied by China, those are going to be very different meetings. And I think that we're going to be increasingly challenged. Why should we follow you? You lost the lead. Uh, you're you're more, interested, more interested in woke politics than you are in our future, and it will be very effective. No, you're you're more interested in pronouns than than anything else. That's, That's right. what they're going to say, and and it's a real it's a real mess. Something else related to China, Bill. Uh, there's a story that apparently U.S. citizens are being evacuated from Taiwan. Have you heard that at all? <clears throat> I, yes, I've heard that some have left. Taiwan. Oh, okay. I don't think it's an evacuation. Well, there may be some who are there and are concerned about a Chinese invasion, and they can do their work elsewhere. That that wouldn't shock me. What what does shock me is the fact that the Chinese are testing us in the air over Taiwan regularly and in the sea, uh, and uh, we don't seem to do very much about it, except to express our interest in being present and to lecture them on the aggression. But right. there, you know, there, there does not seem to be the level of commitment uh, that there should be. We should be sending several aircraft carrier groups into the area. We should be making it very plain that a line will not be crossed without a response. And I suspect that the Chinese will eventually back down because they don't want to get hurt themselves. But the way it is now, we're practically inviting them in. Right, well... I was reading uh, something, a military analysis, saying that China really doesn't have the ability to fight very far away with the United States. They can fight close to China, okay, but they don't have the ability, let's say, to fight over here in the Gulf of Mexico uh, with Cuba or in, in the Pacific or in the Atlantic, Southern Atlantic, with Venezuela. So it, the, the Chinese are just testing us, uh, and I think if we push back, I do believe they'll go back to, to their own home base because they have no ability to compete militarily with the United States over here. That, that's what this uh, strategist was, uh, was saying. Bill, uh, one last note here before we run out of time. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is doing fairly well in the polls. I still find him a little freaky, to be honest with he you, uh, some, of the, some of the statements that he makes. But I'm wondering, Bill, if, you know, if uh, now that you've got Robert F. Kennedy running, when is Beto O'Rourke? going to go in to claim the real RFK title in the presidential campaign. When is Beto O'Rourke going to come in and say, I'm the real Robert F. Get out of the way. Yes. What do you think about that, Bill? Well, he could. I mean, I think uh, he's teaching at Harvard or someplace, uh, Israel O'Rourke, and he has always been compared to Robert Kennedy. Uh, Look, you never know in that party. uh, People have been making all kinds of predictions about next year. I've never seen so much uncertainty. Uh, In a presidential race. I mean, will Joe Biden make it to the election physically, physically? And if he doesn't, what will happen to Kamala Harris? Would she become president and then lose the the job? And on the Republican side, now with all of these cases being thrown at Trump, I mean, Mm -hmm. whether it's fair or unfair, whether it's politically motivated or not, they are cases that are going to court going through the court system, and it could paralyze him to the point where how can you really run for president with three indictments hanging over you? And there well, may be another... feeling by... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go... Go... I'm sorry. Go ahead and finish. No, I was saying that the American people might look at it and say he's a... he'd be a much better president than Biden, but how can you... What happens if he has to go to jail during his term in office. And that can turn off enough people. It really can. Right. No, it really can. There's also another factor I was thinking about uh, last night, Bill. He's 74. He's going to be, well, he was born in 46. So he's going to be, what, 78 if he runs. Um, You know, he's under a lot of pressure right now. This cannot be good for him physically. I mean, I know he's a pretty, I mean, I know he's a pretty amazing man for his age. I mean, it's amazing how alert uh, he is for his age. I mean, it's really incredible. But he's under a weight right now that he's never really been before. And I worry a little bit about the stress, this constant stress that he's under, uh, these attacks. And, you know, I, I'm concerned about his health, to be honest with you, Bill. I'm concerned about his health. There's just too much stress and weight on him right now, Bill. 
I, I think that's true. You know, we think of of, uh, of the president being the sick one, but you're right. He's, he would be about, he was born in 1946, to be about 77. Uh, and at that age, I mean, and I think he's overweight, uh, I, I, you do wonder about the stress on him. He plays a, a good game publicly where he seems mm-hmm. to be cheerful and defiant, and maybe he's cheerful and defiant. But uh, I, I, this could not be helping him. It could not be helping his family. The, the no. family must be furious about this. I don't know what the state of his marriage is. I wouldn't speculate. But I, I haven't seen him photographed recently with Ivanka uh, and uh, uh, her husband. Uh, the f- former first lady appears to be supporting him. Well, how, how far does that go? And right. I think that the, the fear that this could go all the way to a conviction, that trial, must be hanging over them. It has to. That's right. No, you're right. And, and it's got to be very, very stressful on him personally. Uh, his family and marriage, of course, that's always an important consideration, too. But, I mean, just the personal stress of having to deal with, with all of this. I mean, I think the man is amazing when you consider how he, he fights back, how he fights back, whether you like him or hate him. I mean, the, the way he... Uh, back is just uh absolutely absolutely incredible well bill as always thank you for your time and uh we'll have to keep an eye on beto o'rourke uh, claiming the robert fk title for the presidency bill i think i think we will and i think uh we'll we'll see some others in there too all right thank you so much bill have a great week thank you thank you so much Thank you so much. Our good friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Thank you for listening, everybody.